You are listening to the Boss Business of Surgery series podcast, episode 21. This is a replay of the webinar, It's Complicated. Complications happen to all of us. This specifically talks about shame resilience, a lesson critical for all of us. If you want to hear more about what's going on in Boss Surgery, go to bosssurgery.com and opt in for the email list. Enjoy the show. Welcome, surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we needed to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. Uh, Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon um, and a certified coach. I've been coaching surgeons now for a couple of years. Really complications, obviously, are, these are the things that bother us the most about stuff. You guys worked hard for your career. We don't want to be sidelined by complications. We all have complications. It's a statistical guarantee that we're going to have uh, complications. And so the most things I want you all to know is that this happens. And so for us to assume that it's not happening is arguing with reality. Other thing is that suffering is optional. Suffering after a complication is optional. I know it doesn't feel that way, but it really is. Who am I? I already mentioned I'm a general surgeon. I am in full-time private practice. And uh, I was also in the army for 17 years, deployed three times and, you know, experienced the challenges of that. Um, I do have two kids that I can pick out of a lineup, even though we do a lot of stuff, you know, I'm able to do that. Got a passion for coaching when I realized how much it helped me move from an employed private practice or employed um, general surgeon to private practice one. You know, it's interesting. What is a complication? Now, I've seen a lot of people that talk about like looking at definitions of complication, and this was really fascinating. When you look at the definition from Google, of course, is, you know, first it's a noun, a circumstance that complicates something or a difficulty. This is interesting, a secondary disease or condition aggravating an already existing one. And I had heard these talked about before of, you know, like with a trauma victim, reminding yourself, I didn't shoot you. You know, I know you had a complication, but I didn't wedge that gallstone in your gallbladder or things like that too. It's, it's important to realize that people come to us already with a problem. They come to us with a problem that already has its own set possibility of complications. I was actually really fascinated that this definition gave us a little bit of insight into one aspect of this is we as surgeons want to take ownership, but there is certainly an aspect of this that we don't need to take ownership of and that is, you know, the fact that they already have an ongoing problem. What is the problem with complications? Okay, now is your time to start chatting. Tell me some of the problems that we have with complications. Like, what are some of the thoughts that come up that um, that bother us? Someone else wouldn't have had it, right? Inadequacy as a surgeon, isn't that right? Let's see. It's hard to see patients suffer. Absolutely, I'm a terrible surgeon. Isn't that true? Um, all of these thoughts come up for us. I'm going to share some of the my thoughts here too. So these are all the things that, that I came up with just, you know, right off the bat, this shouldn't happen. I won't get referrals. It wouldn't happen if it was someone else. Everyone's going to find out and think that it's me. I wasted my life. You know, all, all the training that we do, the patient is worse off because they had me as a doctor and I don't think I want to do this anymore. And I feel like a failure. I mean, think of all these thoughts. Like these are the thoughts that we carry around with us every day, because I kind of suspected all those 
things that we came up with that everyone would kind of feel the same way is that, you know, who hasn't felt these things every now and then. Now, I know I've talked about this before with a difficult partner and, and just in general, but this is really my favorite exercise because it's so simple to get down to what you really want. And that is starting off with your complaint, describe what you want instead, and then leading to your greatest desire. I picked out one of those thoughts that said, what is my complaint? I just picked out one of those thoughts I talked about. And that is the patient is worse off because I was their doctor. I mean, what a painful thought that is. I I picked that one specifically because it incorporates a lot of things that we feel guilt um, that the patient suffered and how we in particular are responsible for it. You know, this is such a painful thought. I mean, can you imagine? And so what do we want instead? I want to know that patients improve with me as their doctor. You know, I want to know that they were better off because I was their doctor, not worse off. And so then of course that leads to my greatest desire, which is when you have what you want, like, why do I want patients to approve with me as their doctor? And if you keep asking yourself, why, like, why do I want them to improve with me as their doctor? I want to feel competent. I want to um, everyone to know it, and I want to feel like it was all worth it. Um, so that is my greatest desire when I come to the idea of of treating patients. <laughs> now, if you're a female surgeon, and of course I see several of you on here, there is a difference between male and female surgeons, um, and that is despite evidence to say that we have less complications or, or better outcomes. Um, and then, of course, this is an individual result, likely within the norm. But when it happens to us. We know that these can happen to us, doesn't feel that way. And so I put um, a link. uh, This actually was not necessarily a journal article. This was something that I'd heard about. And so I looked it up. Um, I put the the note down here. This is something about signals in in the labor market. This is, I believe, was a Canadian study where they looked at patients that had a, a death and had a male or a female surgeon. And then they sorted it out and say, what did the referral pattern happen? So these little dots on here are quarterly referrals afterwards. And so females, you know, our, our referrals dropped off after um, a, a death of a patient from, you know, a complication. And so it's not your imagination. So, I mean, you're not paranoid. They actually are out to get you. There's certainly some gender uh, biases in, involved with that as well. So I thought that was fascinating. How does it feel? I mean, look at these pictures. So here you have the, the surgeon here down, you know, covering the face, things like that. And look at all the things that we're imagining in our mind. We're imagining female mentor saying, what is wrong with you? I taught you better than this. We imagine the patient getting angry with us. We imagine a competitor looking at us like I can do better. We have like all of our, the people in the OR looking down at us going wrong with you. We have the referring provider angry at us. We have the the nurses um, and colleagues frustrated us. We have the administrators pointing their fingers at us. And this is how we feel. We're coward, fingers over the eyes, like just wishing we were anywhere else because we believe all of these things are going on, whether they are actually going on. How do you want to feel about complications? You know, and this is always a fascinating thing when it comes to how you want to feel. So give me an idea in in the chat box here, like how do you want to feel about complications? We're not all like, oh yeah, I want to feel awesome about this. I want to feel perfectly fine. How do you want to feel? Has anyone thought about that? You know, this is a criticism of coaching people saying that we just want you to paint a nice, happy thought on all of this. So look in the chat box here. Sorry, this happened, but they're part of a surgery. So acceptance, I want to move past it, but from learn from it. So that's really empowering. I want to accept that we get the privilege of being able to operate that we're also 
we also get the burden of complications. So a lot of acceptance, those are things that are, I think, really, really helpful. My friend gave me this uh, meme. I thought that was hilarious. When someone says, don't be sad and your sadness is cured. So don't be upset about complications. Are we all cured? I could end it right now, right? (laughs) Well, I mean, of course, that's not going to work. You know, would you really want to be unaffected by a complication? You know, that just means something happened. You know, this is not the goal. This is not the goal to just tell you you're fine and then everything to be fine. That's not how this works. When we think about it here on the left, no one expects you to be happy about complications, but there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is, uh, I thought, best depicted by this picture here on the left. These are people, their heads down, they're clearly not happy about it. They're contemplating stuff but they're together. You can imagine them, you know, venting together and venting is really just approaching a trauma in little ways that we can control and healing a little bit at a time, but we're doing it together. We're listening to each other. We're supporting each other. They're not speaking right now. So you don't even really have to speak, but this is guilt. This is, I feel bad that this happened, but I don't feel like it's necessarily an indictment on me. And that is what this picture shows. This is shame. This is, I feel bad and it's because of me. And you could see this person's not receptive to any thoughts. They're by themselves or isolated. Um, they're not going to be able to vent. They're not going to be able to collaborate or get support or hear any other outcome. This is a person that is withdrawing inward. And you can see that this would be very difficult to heal from. So as we move on, you know, how do complications affect us? Of course, this happens in different stages. Now, before the complication, if we've ever had one before, of course, before the complication can lead us to fear and uncertainty. It takes a lot of our time as we worry about the case. We may ruminate a little bit. We may look over the records a lot. So this takes in a lot of additional time. And so our already burdened surgery time is added by all this worry and taking time thinking of stuff. And this of course interferes with work home and balance. So when you can't let it go, when you really feel like the only thing that's going to reassure me is to continue to look it over. You could see that even before the complication, we're already having some problems. Now, during the complication, how does this affect us? You know, now something suddenly happens. We're in that fight, flight, freeze mode. So we could freeze. We may not know what to do. We're not our Autonomic system is so hyped up, we can't even really access our our prefrontal cortex of, of higher learning. You know, we're just caught in the moment of fear. And this becomes uh, harder to move forward where we take longer, which of course doesn't make you feel any better. So we take longer and then um, we continue to kind of perseverate and you may be afraid to ask for help because you don't want people to know, or maybe you've had a bad experience asking for help before. And a lot of it is, you know, also worrying about what people think. And of course, this is feeds itself too. When you feel like you're slower, everyone's kind of like, you know, it's really silent or things like that. Then, you know, it really also feeds that fear. It doesn't let you get out of that emotional cycle. Of course, after the complication, it's not empowering. There's a lot of self-doubt. We may be overly cautious. We may not want to do this case again. We may have bad feelings about ourselves. Sometimes we have bad feelings about the patients. You know, it's really hard sometimes to figure out who someone has to be responsible for all this. And either we lash out at each other, ourselves, either way, a lot of times we're taking this home with us, because if this is deep seated and it's really impacting who you are, it's it's hard not to take it home with you. Let's go through 
someone going through a complication. So you're in the operating room and something happens. You know something is not right. What are the thoughts that come to us? This shouldn't happen. This means I'm a bad surgeon. I think we've all been there too. You look around and you think, I know what everyone's thinking. I know what they're thinking and I know that it's not good. This is classic black and white thinking, classic self-sabotage. In this moment, we only give ourselves two possibilities. I'm a good surgeon or I'm a bad surgeon. And that's exactly, you know, kind of how we're feeling in that moment. And then other things is like, you know, who could help me? I think is what uh, was mentioned in the chat box. Now I want to talk, I think several of you, I recognize names. So I know you're a little bit familiar with the thought model and we might picture other way. This is what happens when we have black and white thinking. You know, we tell ourselves one thing and we believe this. So the circumstance is something neutral. Everyone agrees in the operating room that something has happened that was unexpected. So a complication is a difficulty arises. And, you know, our thought is this shouldn't happen. There's something wrong with me. And of course, this thought is going to trigger shame. Shame is I feel bad and there's something wrong with me. And just like we were looking at the, the gentleman that was down the hall, we don't hear what people have to say. They could be giving us reassuring things. This is why even asking for help doesn't necessarily help us because if we shut down, we're not able to hear anything. And since we can't hear what anyone says to us, we're, we can't get out of our spiral. And if they even say something reassuring, if we're stuck in this, we may not believe them anyway. And so you can, you can see how these actions of, I don't hear what people have to say, and I don't believe them when they do say it, reinforces that it's me. You know, I never get any kind of reassurance that it's not me. And so this is the shame spiral. Um, this will continue to uh, keep us in the state of misery and we can't get out of it because the more we believe it, if you add up all of these thoughts, all these thoughts over time, especially over years, especially all the things, you know, we're a product of all of the things that happened before us. So the more we stack up these thoughts, then it becomes a belief about ourself. And that's the problem with this belief about ourself. It's kind of like a snowball rolling downhill. Now it's this enormous thing. Now, how do you overcome that? And so the most important thing is when we think something's happened, the more we prove it right, because we've only considered two options. I'm a good surgeon or I'm a bad surgeon. And it, we all base it on this one event, one circumstance that is statistically possibly going to happen. So you can see how this is a no-win situation. We have to be a little bit smarter than that. Um, and mostly just embracing self-compassion. Am I looking at this realistically? Am I being fair to myself? You know, really asking yourself that when these thoughts come up, because the one thing that I've learned in coaching surgeons for the last couple of years is that we just were never really taught about thoughts in our mind and emotions that come up. You know, we are used to having a problem and fixing the problem, having a problem, fixing the problem, not knowing that there's such a layer of so many individual things that come up that we have lots of thoughts that come into our mind um, and that you know, one time doesn't really affect us, but multiple times do. And if you're already in that shame spiral, you can see how you approach the next operation the same way. Now I'm a little hesitant. Now I'm going to be longer. Now everyone's going to be whispering like, oh, look, she's taking a long time. And then I know that it takes a long time, which makes me even more nervous, which makes me more hesitant and, and so on and so on. So you can see how this, this pattern develops that you have the snowball rolling down the hill. So what do we do? 
we have to really expand our idea of what it means to be a good surgeon. And we may not have even thought of that. You know, we just assume like I am a good surgeon, of course, or maybe I am, I'm not sure, but we haven't really looked into our idea of what a good surgeon is. So I want you all to, to just tell me a couple of things of like what defines a good surgeon in the context of a um, complication, honest, yes. And so telling the, telling the truth to the patient, take ownership, take accountability. That's right. And we'll talk about that. You'll see that that's actually part of the shame uh, resilience of owning the story. So you can own the ending. How do we define a good surgeon? Now, obviously no one said no complications, right? And, and the reason we don't experience enough to see, to see it through. That's right. A good surgeon, we all would agree that you can't be a good surgeon and not have complications because every surgeon is going to have complications. And there's that old adage, the only people who don't have complications are the ones who don't operate. So to say that you're only a good surgeon if you don't have complications is arguing with reality. So the very first thing is to challenge that thought altogether. What do good surgeons do when complications arise? We already kind of mentioned this um, a little bit. And so first is identify a complication happened in the first place then be there for the patient. Let them know what happens, just the honesty that we talked about, and let them know that you care. Um, those are the things that are immediately accessible to everyone. And we do all of these things, but I think that we forget because we think about the context of how we're feeling about it, that we forget about the patient's perception of this and what they want. So what do the patients really want? If you're a patient and if you've ever been a patient or had a family member, you know, you want to know that you're not alone. This patient here is looking at the window is wondering what is going on. No one is here. I'm all by myself. I don't understand what's going on. Um, this patient over here holding their hand, there may not be much to do. They just want to know that someone cares. And down here, explaining what's going on, um, because we know what's going on, but we forget sometimes that the patients have only experienced this once, you know, what they're experiencing right now, whereas we've experienced it hundreds of times. We may know what their trajectory is, but they don't. We may know that this is just a bump in the road and they'll be fine, or we know that they have a little bit longer of a road, whereas if we don't tell them it's a longer road, they may think, oh, one thing after another. And so being able to explain things to patients is really, really helpful. I mentioned this in the, the boss Facebook group too, in a very cruel uh, irony, I actually have my own complication. This was a young patient, a common surgery. I've done thousands of times. The surgery was straightforward. And I got called that night um, for uh, hypotension and H and H drop. So I was driving in and I started thinking of like, well, I, I do have this thing coming up and, you know, I have plenty of complications to think about, but in this particular case, I had the, the luxury of being very present in that particular moment. So I started really being present in what I thought. And so I legit sat in my car for a fairly long time thinking about all these things. And I'd like to say it was because I was preparing for this, but I also didn't want to go in. <laughs> I mean, how many of y'all felt this way? Like, you know, there's first the denial. I was like, the case was fine. This can't be this, you know, these people, I can't believe that they're calling me for this too. You know, I certainly felt that on the phone and, you know, I wanted to kind of explain it away going this, I mean, yeah, maybe they're just a little lightheaded because the medication, you know, this is young person and things like that. Um, when I started second guessing, I'm like, well, I think it was straightforward. Did I miss something? Am I always going to miss something? Like, you know, it's the, um, the, avalanche of thoughts too. Like not only did I miss on this, I must miss on every other thing, only gotten lucky when it worked. 
you know, there's the guilt um, that I felt like, you know, of course, it's like the nicest person ever, if only worked explaining it away, if only worked um, where, you know, only the the people that deserved it happened, if, if that's even a thing. But of course, it always seems to happen to the nice people, the VIPs, the people that really, you know, would bother us the most, not that it makes it any better or worse, it just seems to happen that way. But just tons of guilt that we caused some harm to someone. And then the dread of going to face it, you know, we have to tell someone and that dread for me comes from the fact that I have to own up to the fact that this didn't turn out the way I wanted. And this is a pretty straightforward case. And again, I've done thousands of times. I'm not sure if that made it better or worse, you know, a little bit embarrassed, you know, I, I want to be a good surgeon. I want to be thought of uh, as well. You know, I wanted them to, you know, I wanted to be the surgeon I want, which is going in there, fixing the problem and everyone's happy and goes home. Um, I was worried that they would think I was a terrible surgeon, you know, that they would, that they wouldn't like me, that they tell everybody else, you know, all these things. And then, you know, I kind of got over it and said, well, all right, well, what are we going to do? You know, the biggest, the biggest strategy that we have when we have overwhelm is to make a step. Action is the solution to overwhelm. So I started strategizing what I was going to do. I'd already called the operating room. I'd already ordered um, a typing cross just in case. And I planned out what I was going to say to uh, the patient and her mother. And then, you know, honestly, I did have a little bit of gratitude now heavily dosed with sarcasm, of course, but I did have some gratitude by the fact that I did have the opportunity to be present in all of this, knowing that I was going to be talking to you all, knowing that I had the potential to offer some more insight because I had the luxury of doing it in the moment. And then I just, you know, you know, put my girl pants, big girl pants on and said, let's just go face it. I went to the the bedside and I faced it head on as I would. I told him what I thought happened. I told him what I was going to do. And I said that I was sorry that it happened. Um, and I know that there's some controversy about this too, but, you know, I feel like honestly, direct and honest is, is the way to go and, and letting him know that it does happen. But I was sorry that it happened and I was going to take care of her and I was going to get her back home. That's what I did. I took her to the operating room and luckily, you know, I actually had a lot of the same people in the team, um, the, the same team that I had in the operating room. So I was able to vent a little bit. I was able to approach this trauma a little bit at the same time and, you know, ask around and talk with them. And I felt a little reassured because I felt the same way. Like that was pretty straightforward. I wonder what happened, you know, and I took responsibility for it saying, well, I mean, I brought her back and this is what it is. And, you know, I don't feel great, but I didn't feel terrible either. And in the moment I realized what I'd been able to do was I turned this, you know, from uh, not shame. It's just simply guilt. Guilt feels terrible, but it feels recoverable. It may be accessible to the team. It may be able to feel reassured and um, and go through this and approach this trauma in ways that I could control and heal a little bit at the time. Now, here's like the most remarkable thing is, you know, being really present there and listening to what patients want and how you figure out what patient wants is you listen to what they're really saying. And so I actually, as soon as I talked to um, the mother and the patient afterwards, I wrote down exactly what they said. And this is what they said. You will not believe this. I didn't believe this. That morning, uh, you know, I went there early in the morning and they said, you know, we're so glad to see you. It means a lot that you came in early. We're really glad you explained this to us. Thank you for taking the time to answer our questions. It's not your fault. You're a good surgeon. We feel very comfortable with you. We can't thank you enough. You told me this might happen. Now this last one, they didn't, they didn't say this, but other patients have, you know, you told me this might happen. And it's so funny because I think when we have the informed consent, 
you know, we tell the patients rote memory, all the things we say, and we forget <laughs> to consent ourselves for the surgery. We know that these things can happen. We tell the patients they remember, but we forget. Um, but these were all things that they said on their own. And I, I just thought it was really remarkable because, you know, quite honestly, I don't think that they are alone in this. I think our patients say really remarkable things all the time. And I I know that I've mentioned in our um, in the groups and various groups about having some positivity rounds of like, are you really listening to what these patients are saying to you? Pretty remarkable when you um, when you really pay attention. This last part, and this is probably the most important. And you know, we've all talked about some of these aspects. This aspect of shame resilience. We all have the potential to feel shame in our job. And it's just because we do hard things. We know these things happen. So we have to find some way to fortify ourselves against these things. And this is, of course, is um, on Brene Brown's work. Um, I read Daring Greatly is where I found it, um, this uh, spelled out, and I thought that was really helpful. And I've used this often. And anytime I see someone in these Facebook groups, you know, I offer these three steps for shame resilience, because really that's the best that we have. Um, first is to reach out to a trusted source. And that could be, you know, an online group. It could be a friend. You know, it's not just reaching out to anyone. It's reaching out to a trusted source and say, I just need to reach out to someone. And just like I pointed out in the picture of, you know, guilt is in groups and shame is solitary. And so reaching out to a trusted source is the first step in shame resilience. The, The next step is talking kindly to yourself. And this is the first thing I think that a lot of us need to know is that we talk to ourselves. You know, we don't really listen to that inner dialogue that we have, what we say about ourselves. And that's the one thing um, when I start coaching folks is, you know, they really don't exactly understand where some of the thoughts come from. I mean, but when we start unraveling them, it becomes very clear. Um, You're able to pinpoint a little bit of, of where some of the troubled spots are. And it's just something that's just buried deep within us. And the more thoughts we have about ourselves, then the more we add this onto a belief, like I was mentioning before, you know, and this is why in your, as your career goes on, we don't necessarily have an easier time with complications. In some ways, you may actually have a harder time with complications because you've never resolved the fact that all of the thoughts have, have stacked up to, um, to this belief about ourselves. And we may look at that one event and say, well, of course I knew those happen. I mean, but you know, I was fine all the time until this one event. And, and really what it is, is a cumulative thing. Um, you know, every experience that we have is cumulative about how we think about ourselves, And so really focusing on how we talk to ourselves now, how we've talked to ourselves in the past, and really being proactive of how we're going to talk to ourselves in the future. And this is where um, a lot of times people, when they suggest, how would you talk to a colleague? How would you, you know, talk to a trusted friend? Things like that is that really recognizing that we have the ability um, to speak kindly to other people. And now we need to give ourselves that grace um, to, to talk kindly to ourselves. All right. And so the next thing is, um, this is an interesting one because I, I didn't really know this until she brought it up. And it's so very, very important is owning the story so you can own the ending. And you guys were, um, you know, right on top of it when it came to like talking about the honesty and, you know, owning it and things like that is that if you own the story, you can own the ending. 
if you're in a shame spiral and you're down in, in, in you know, the hallway um, hiding from folks, you're not really owning the story. So you can't make it any better. You know, just like that thought model leads you to think I'm always going to think badly about myself because I'm not listening to anybody else. But if you own the story, it means that I know I'm going to go, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be accountable, and I'm going to take the steps that are going to get me out of this. When you don't own the story, there's avoidance. You push it to the side. You hope no one knows, but you're always afraid that they're going to. So even if no one does say something, you assume that they're going to. Um, you accept other people's thoughts because sometimes patients are not so gracious. You know, they're angry. They're living in fear. They may say horrible things. You know, they're going to lash out from fear and uncertainty as well. And so even you can handle it as the best surgeon possible, but a colleague, a competitor, an angry patient, an administrator who doesn't understand, um, you know, we're always going to have other thoughts offered to us from other people. And then we decide how we're going to feel about that. And so that's also accepting the fact that we can listen to what other people say, but we decide how we feel about that is the most important thing. Owning the story is different. We decide how we feel about it. We decide how we act and we decide the, the result that we want. Um, and I think that is the most important thing that we could do is own the story so we can decide what the ending is. So again, these are the three things reach out to a trusted source, talk kindly to yourself, own the stories, you can own the ending. And I think that the really, the more we repeat this to ourselves, the more we can have it more accessible in a time where it comes up. That was like the best highest yield aspect that I could come up with when it comes to complications. I think that if you remember those simple steps and those strategies that you're going to be able to overcome a lot. Now, that being said, most of our thoughts about ourselves are cumulative, are not readily accessible to us, especially if you've not really paid attention to how you feel about yourself and how you um, interact with the world. If you don't know your patterns, then you may fall into patterns without realizing that you can actually change them. Um, and so I think this is where uh, coaching comes into play. Thanks for listening. Join us at bosssurgery.com and hear more about events happening at the Business of Surgery series.